Welcome to Episode 7 of the Farm Exec Podcast. I am Shelma Scali, Senior Editor of Farm Exec Magazine. Hey everyone, I'm Kristen Harm, the Associate Editor of Farm Exec Magazine. For those of you joining us for the first time, Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. So Kristen, what are we talking about on this episode? Today we have the pleasure of having an all-editor podcast. So our editor-in-chief, Lisa Henderson, our European editor, Julian Upton, and then you and I uh, talk about some conferences that we attended last week. What we found interesting when we started talking was the synergy between these conferences, even though they all had very different contexts and they were hosted in different parts of the world. But they just had a lot of interweaving themes. Yeah, I think it'll be a very valuable conversation to our listeners. And when we get back, we'll be playing the recording. Join Pharmaceutical Executive in its 10th year of honoring up-and-coming professionals who are vital to the future of the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. Nominate yourself or a colleague for PharmExec's 2018 Emerging Pharma Executive Program. Find all the details on our website at pharmexec.com slash leaders2018. Podcasters, we have PharmaSex Editor-in-Chief Lisa Henderson and European Editor Julian Upton on with us today. Hey, guys. Hi. How you doing? Doing good. Thanks so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks so, for having us again. <laughs> it's always fun to have you guys on. Um, so recently, all three of us, um, Lisa, Julian, and I, we all went to various conferences uh, around the globe, actually, and we thought it would be great to kind of talk a little bit about what we saw out there, the trends, and kind of our takeaways. So, Julian, I'd like to start with you. You recently went to iPerforma in Barcelona. Tell us a little bit about what you saw there and what the takeaways, what, you, what the trends were. Yeah. Um, well, this this is a conference that's been going uh, on for, for, for quite a long quite a long time now, and um, it's grown from its beginnings, which was a primarily Salesforce effectiveness event to uh, just, just, it's just called, it's just called iPerforma Barcelona now, it has a very much wider remit. And the event this year encompassed four streams, which were commercial model innovation, learning and development, enhanced patient solutions, and medical affairs. So it's, it's kind of become a catch-all event about the commercial side uh, commercial concerns on the, of the industry. So there's an awful lot to dissect from it now. It's, it's kind of hard to, to uh, take it all in because it's, it's, uh, it's grown, as I say, quite a lot. But for me, um, I was particularly interested in the focus on digital and data, which, of course, is always a, has always been a, a part of this conference because it's very you know, intrinsic to the commercial side of the industry. But I think about, of about 60 uh, sessions, there's at least a third you know, that are focused on digital, big data, uh, new technologies, new solutions. And um, within that, uh, AI was, was interestingly at the forefront. So I think what I would sort of underline from the conference this, this year was that um, the discussions around AI, you know, and artificial intelligence, because although that's always been present for the last few years, um, it does seem to be, you know, um, being more hyped up, as we know, and as we've written about in the magazine, and so that that was interesting this year. 
Julian, can you talk a little bit about what they're saying about AI and how they're seeing it being used, yeah. how they're predicting it's going to be used? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of sessions on AI, and um, a couple sort of stood out for me. There was a lady called Christina Bosmelis, and she's from IBM, IBM Watson Health, uh, pointing out a few things about AI, which is interesting to, to note that it's been with us as a term since 1956. You know, it was like that was when the, the first conference on AI was held, which seems, you know, uh, archaic, but uh, that's when it was around, and programs were being created around that time, you know, for the very primitive sort of uh, processing speeds that were available. But she had a couple of sobering things to point out, was that at the current time, only 1% of the world's data is being analyzed. So this, this is obviously some sort of uh, challenge for, for people in the next few years, because in the next five years, data is going to increase, uh, she pointed out, by 800%. So there's a lot of work to be done on, on getting the uh, AI uh, technology to, just to deal with all this data. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a negative presentation, of course, because she's with IBM and they're at the forefront of this. And IBM Watson has been their big thing over the last uh, few years. Uh, and she did say that 75% um, of healthcare consumers are going to expect to use digital technology for their health in, in the next few years. And this led on to some other things that were being said at the conference. And just just a couple of facts that came out that there was a, a speaker from Google. Ryan Olihan, and he pointed out that uh, last year mobile devices accounted for 57% uh, of the 160 billion healthcare searches on Google. So 160 billion healthcare searches on wow. Google, and the majority done on, on mobile devices now. And other things were pointed out about last year there was something like 3.5 billion invested into, uh, this is the first half of last year, invested into 188 digital health companies. So there's a huge amount of activity going on now, and we're reaching this, seems to be reaching this sort of inflection point. Um, the, the final point from Buzz Malis, I thought, was, was interesting, but it's kind of semantic. It's, she talked of it as augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence. This seems to be a term that she wants, uh, or IBM may want to use. And um, I think the reasons for this are just purely the connotations that go with the word artificial, you know, and maybe artificial intelligence is being seen as this, some, sometimes it's, you know, portrayed in sci-fi as this sort of scary, uh, oppressive thing, you know, and I think perhaps there's a shift to to move away from that, although I don't know if it will catch on. This is, this is, this is just a, one uh, speaker calling it augmented intelligence, uh, but I guess that's what it is. So uh, I thought that was a, a, an interesting point. That's really interesting because I was at the Oracle conference and AI did come up a lot. And they didn't say augmented, but they were talking about um, how artificial intelligence makes people think that they're going to lose their jobs and that yeah. they're going to take over their jobs. And with what they're really talking about is how it's going to help their jobs or how you yeah, that's right. And it also means that we're in charge of the artificial intelligence if it's augmented. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of augmenting your own uh, knowledge. So, you know, I'm not sure it would catch on, like I say. Uh, people have been saying artificial intelligence for 60 years, so we'll see. But, yeah, that was interesting. And uh, I just have uh, one more thing, which was from uh, Ben Greenberg of uh, Metscape. You know, again, welcoming all the advances in AI, but also warning companies about uh, a gold rush mentality that he says is pushing many pharma and healthcare companies into uh, into AI technology development before they've really understood why they're building it, you know, or, or what, the, what the real use of the software is. So um, and he did point out also that if we look at things like voice-controlled smart speakers, a survey of physicians uh, over the world did reveal that um, they're not really using those yet and the value isn't there yet. 
uh, a voice-powered clinical support tool is not is not sort of catching on as yet. So I think his message was for to take for us to take some sort of step back and maybe just find out what people really need before companies go rushing headlong into their AI development. Uh, Lisa, can you tell us about the conference you went to? Yeah, so I was down in um, National Harbor, Maryland, not to be confused with the Inner Harbor in Baltimore, because apparently I was confused for a little while. But anyway, it's, it was bridging clinical research and clinical health care. So this is more for the applied clinical trial side. But I had a couple observations and a couple things to chime in on the AI. Um, AI did come up in the bridging conference under the bridging technology track because the use of data to transform clinical trials, more or less. So in order to have AI, obviously you have to have the data. And they were talking about AI. There was a guy presenting from Deep Six. And somebody in the audience had asked about, you know, how they use AI differently than, say, IBM Watson. And he literally threw Watson under the bus. He just, like, slammed IBM. So then, interestingly enough, IBM presented on a panel in the next session following, and he addressed it. He said, yes, I'm with IBM Watson Health. So it was a little <laughs> uncomfortable, but yeah. uh, it was interesting. Um, you know, and to Julian's point, AI is I, – I like the augmented intelligence, actually. I do like that because, you know, and to your point, Michelle, people do automatically just think artificial intelligence is – robots or something, you know, that's going to take their jobs, like you said. So the rest of the conference, what it's basically about is clinical trials are conducted in a bubble, more or less, you know, because of the regulatory and ethical concerns. So it also is very, very hard to recruit for clinical trials, very extremely difficult. And there's also a movement called clinical research as a care option. You should be able to have clinical trial as a treatment option for you when you present with an illness. So be it a seamless process. It is not a seamless process. Clinical trials is like outside of the normal healthcare conduct. This conference, you know, addressed how to kind of integrate healthcare itself into the clinical trials. That is getting your physicians on board. So that's kind of what IBM Watson Health was doing when you think about it. There's a project with Mayo, I think it's with Mayo Clinic. I could be wrong. It could be um, Cleveland Clinic. I'm sorry. I don't have the details. I'm talking about this from memory. But, you know, using um, their data to find patients, to find the healthcare professional and recruit that way. There's a lot of barriers to it. And one of the major barriers is that physicians, your general physicians, just don't have time to learn about clinical trials. They don't know about them. They don't get paid to refer their patients out into a clinical trial. But, you know, we're trying to change that landscape so that physicians become more comfortable and patients can have access to treatments that may ultimately, if not save their life, at least improve their quality of life. So, Lisa, um, can I just jump in really quick? Yeah, yeah. Because of Oracle, the speaker who kind of kicked off the healthcare area was a a former um, she's a motivational speaker. Her name is Jessica El- Elmore, and she had a heart attack when she was very, very young. And the only reason she got this special device to be able to help her was because 
her doctors happened to be the doctors in the clinical trial. Mm-hmm. And right. part, talking about, and part of what came up when I talked with her afterwards um, was all about this, is how do we make clinical trials more accessible to patients and make doctors aware? Like, everything you're just saying is exactly what they were talking about, too. And, in yeah. fact, Steve uh, Rosenberg um, over at Oracle he actually, he's the GM of Oracle, for those of you listening, uh, he actually commented how wouldn't it be interesting if just the way we put the advertised drugs on TV, we advertised clinical trials that way to allow people to know about that. Yeah, Steve is great. He's a great guy. But I agree. I After having been on the clinical trials reporting side for a while, and everybody knows I just took over with PharmaExec, you know, a year and a half ago and still learning the commercial side. I went up to somebody from large pharma afterwards and I said, you know, pharmaceutical on the commercial side spends a lot of money trying to reach physicians about prescribing, to reach physicians to make their lives easier to prescribe. You know, there's a lot of money spent on that side. And I said, how about you consider when you reach out to these physicians and also um, I know I'm jumping around, but the reach of the type of reach to that physician is becoming higher level, scientific. You know, that's why you're seeing changes in medical affairs. It's not just like we're going to buy you lunch and talk about our drug or give drop off a pamphlet. You know, they're trying to provide physicians with more partnering, like this is the scientific, this is, you know, try to educate the physician more and give them that knowledge. So I said, why don't you just, you know, in this partnership, why don't you say, hey, physician, clinical trials exist, and your company, like the pharma company, is conducting clinical trials. Just like, you know, try and bridge that. And I said that to him, and he's like, I know. You know, and and I went to my company, and they said, you can't, you're clinical, you can't be over here. You need to talk to this person. So my point is, it's still a sideload thing. It, it literally is I, – I thought the silos were kind of breaking down. I don't know that that's reality, but I'm really glad that your patient person was able to get into a trial. Those stories are so meaningful. We had a, a patient speaker also, and just moved me to tears, so, you know. Yeah, the whole room after she spoke, no one wanted – the people who got up after her was like, wow, all of you are going to walk out of the room. There's no way you're going to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I know. That wasn't my conference, too. Everybody was like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that more and more at uh, conferences with the, you know, inviting uh, more and more patient speakers, um, and the effect is always quite emotional, quite profound. So it's, uh, I think I see it more now than, than obviously the, I used to see it a few years ago. So, Michelle, I know you already mentioned a little bit about the Oracle Industry Connect conference that you went to. But do you have any additional takeaways that you think are valuable to the listeners that you want to talk about? So this is actually a little bit off topic. The person who really, I think, made a big difference um, or really my biggest takeaway from the Oracle conference was actually the chief information officer at MGM Resorts International because if you've been to Oracle before, you know that um, the conference takes people from all the different industries that they work in and bring them together. So while there's different tracks for each industry, there's also general keynotes. And there was a general keynote on Wednesday morning uh, titled Redefining Business Models and Consumer Experience in an Age of uh, Digital Disruption. And 
there were people from, you know, Con Edison, so utilities. There was people from hospitality, people from a lot of other business units, except what was missing was really healthcare, which I thought was pretty interesting that there was no one from healthcare on the panel. And the gentleman from MGM Resort, he was talking about the fact that you really have to be nimble in this culture and when you're dealing with digital disruption. And he actually talked about how MGM Resorts was not nimble in the beginning. And, for example, they launched an app that really didn't do anything. It was just their mobile site. And then they couldn't understand why they weren't getting any data and why they weren't getting any information. And they did kind of what Julian was just saying, how they just jumped into something, but they really didn't think of why. Like, oh, everyone's making a mobile app. Let's make a mobile app. So it's kind of interesting how all of this is kind of working together, everything that we're talking about. But what he was saying was, um, which I thought was really interesting for pharma, was that the C-suite of MGM International got a lot closer to the business. They looked at things through the lens of technology. They looked at things from their customer's point of view, and they made a conscious effort to do that. It wasn't just looking at numbers from data that was coming in. It was actually you know, standing at the checkout line and seeing what the problem was, why they were getting uh, knocked down on these ratings. So his advice for everyone pretty much up there in any industry was how the C-suite really needs to really be involved in the decision-making and really get down to the nitty-gritty. I thought was interesting. We talk about that a lot and people say it. And that was the other thing he was saying. He was like, you know, we say our culture is all about the people and it's all about our customers, but are we actually really doing that? And I think that that was an interesting thing as we talk about, you know, kind of relate to pharma. The other thing that was interesting was that um, Bob Wheeler, who I want to make sure I get his title correct, Executive Vice President of Oracle's Global Business Unit, he was saying that the toughest thing for them is getting buy-in into all of these digital um, disruptions and all of these um, artificial intelligence and all of these programs. And you have a majority of the people in a company, when they go to talk to a company, that they're saying, oh, yeah, this is really interesting. We really want to do it, but they really don't want to do it. Then you have another section that's, like, just completely against it. And then you have that little, he estimated it between, like, 20 and 30% that are actually, like, yes, we want to do this. Yes, we want to get involved. And he said the toughest thing is actually buy-in from executives. And I thought it was interesting because Bob was talking at the same time as Cy from uh, MGM, and it was kind of like he was complaining about how, you know, you have to really get into that C-suite and get them convinced and, you know, go as high as possible you can to get them the buy-in. And then Cy is saying how, you know, we all say that we want to be about the customers, but we have to get more involved. So it kind of, like, went together really well. And I thought that was interesting because we always talk about that with pharma. And I thought that was a good lesson that pharma could kind of take away because the CEO of a big pharma company is really removed from the patient in many cases. As much as we want to say that they're not, they really are. You know, they're not in the middle of a clinical trial or in the middle of the research. Um, and not to say that that's wrong. Obviously, they're doing other things. But it was just interesting to me that sort of connection and how much he really stressed getting in and how much he stressed that that helped change their business and also helped change the buy-in of the executive into using the new technology and actually learning about it and going forward with it.
I think it's really great to be able to bring these insights that we as editors are gleaning from our time at conferences, um, you know, to our readers and listeners. So thank you so much, Lisa and Julian and Michelle, for taking the time to share your thoughts with us and listeners. Thank you. Thank you. And now it's time for this week's leadership tip from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Julia Cheek, the CEO of Everly Well based in Austin, Texas. And one of my best leadership tips is to trust your gut. As a startup founder, it's important to listen to your instincts and to go with your gut when the path is unknown. It takes just as much effort to go after a game-changing opportunity as a small partnership. And so I recommend going after the really big wins. This will help with your burnout and perception of the brand and business early on. And if you have a unique angle, capitalize on it. Being able to create a big brand early on can do amazing things for the growth of your business in the early days. Let it differentiate you and your business. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec Podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, or on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director lisa.henderson at ubm.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at todd.baker at ubm.com. <laughs>